0: Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM, featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, Alom offers Six Sigma quality, technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. Alom delivers its clients' products and services flawlessly, enriching end user experience and upholding brand reputations. Learn more at alom.com. Today's guest is Hannah Kane, President and CEO of Alom. We're going to be talking about. Just in time versus just in case. Thank you for being here with me today, Hannah. It's absolutely my pleasure. So we're gonna talk about just in time versus just in case. Well, that is a popular topic these days. Prior to the pandemic, just in time was really the the catchphrase and what companies seemed to really be focused on as their strategy. So why was it so popular?
1: Well, you know, uh, there are different ways to think about how you manage inventory. Certainly two big concerns is, can you keep your inventory levels down so to uh, have a better cash flow? So as supply chain professionals will manage their inventory, the CFO got very happy when there was very low amount of funds. Tied up in inventory, and uh, so that was one big consideration. And the other problem, of course, is if if you have bloated inventory, is the problem of obsolescence. So you have excess inventory, you've got obsolete inventory, now you start scrapping. So mainly it's a financial issue that companies were thinking about could they really, really squeeze the inventory and, and do uh, have no safety stock, no buffer stock, and just do it really just in time. And that worked. And you were mentioning the pandemic. Well, it was not just the pandemic that has been upsetting the supply chain, so that has certainly played a big role. But it's also the border crossings, the geopolitical landscape, and of course the entire freight crisis and infrastructure constraints so a number of different factors have uh, have to be factored in as you're looking at what is disrupting the supply chain right now
0: and an- another thing that probably encouraged companies to do just in time was the expense related to storing the inventory as well right
1: that that's certainly a factor, but uh, I th- I think that that's uh, maybe less of a factor than uh, than actually holding the cost of the inventory and the risk of obsolescence. And let's talk a little bit more about obsolescence, because are there some industries
0: that you feel like might be more vulnerable to the uh, inventory
1: obsolescence? Oh, I think uh, more and more industries are becoming vulnerable as we see more technology come into the product. Uh, so uh, I'd say, of course, uh, ultimate uh, industries are food industry is, and and pharmaceuticals, where you see a lot of uh, high a lot of high velocity items. But when you look at technology, it also has uh, c- certainly a limited shelf life. And as we are seeing more technology go into different products, we are seeing shorter shelf life of the product. And also, as competition gets more transparent, etc., we, we we see more higher velocity and and shorter uh, product cycles. Uh, so faster turn in the in the product cycle. And of course, don't get me started on uh, on fashion, right? So fashion also has a very very short shelf life. And the other thing is, we've all, especially in the US, gotten used to that we get everything in the exact configuration we want to have it in. So we have this skew proliferation where we get many different skews and we want the exact skew we we set out to buy. And so now we uh, get a problem with that we get uh, inflated inventory. And what we have seen now, what companies are doing as a strategy to curtail their inventory is they are taking some of those extensions and customizations, and they're pulling back a little bit on those such that they simply have fewer choices out there. And I think... All consumers are seeing that as they go on car lots or they go grocery shopping, there are a little bit fewer selections these days.
0: So you had mentioned COVID wasn't the only thing that's kind of happened to maybe create this evolution of thought or this changed mindset regarding just in time. But do you think that it the, the biggest one?
1: No, I don't. It depends on the industry and the type we're talking about. Certainly some of the demand swings we are seeing um, are caused by COVID-related change of behavior, but others are not necessarily caused by that. So some of the demand swings related to border crossings are really more geopolitical. And so some products are experiencing more problems because of of those issues. And then, of course, we have the entire infrastructure. So today, I'm in California, and I believe truck traffic is up 22% uh, compared to two years ago. So obviously, in California, you're going to have infrastructure problems when those type of fluctuations happen. And in the US, we have known for a decade or better, that that the infrastructure was just too tight. And then when we see um, these type of demand fluctuations, the infrastructure can really impact that. We've also seen uh, freight constraints, and I think the freight constraints are a big factor for everybody in both the ability to actually get product to the consumer but or to the factories that uh, produce the end product, but also in in curtailing costs. So uh, you know, I I keep uh, hearing from uh, companies that their freight bills are going up, not just doubling, not just tripling, but by a factor of five or eight, and and that's a significant expense, and it's part of what Elam is helping our customers uh, do behind the scenes. We are managing that entire supply chain uh, and making sure that we have the freight uh, in place and that product is being delivered in spite of all the obstacles. But I know that there are many uh, supply chain professionals out there who simply feel that this is a a really taxing obstacle course and it's really tough to get product uh, to the right location on time these days.
0: So if you have COVID, geopolitical forces, you have freight issues, infrastructure, I mean, if you think about all of those elements, what do you think that they've taught us about just-in-time strategies?
1: Well, I think uh, I have two thoughts. Uh, one is that uh, I think many supply chain professionals out there have uh, PTSD because uh, it is uh, really a uh, very traumatic experience to be in supply chain when you have all these obstacles. You sort of remove one obstacle and the next one pops up. So it it's it's a really tough. And I've been known to say that it takes two thousand five hundred parts to make a car and one part to not make a car. And supply chain professionals are really feeling that. But The question is, is just-in-time dead? And I want to say just-in-time has never been about not having safety stock. It has been about doing a risk analysis of each component and then deciding how much safety stock you want. For some components, you can go down to more or less zero. And for other components, you need to have some safety stock. And, And so supply chain professionals need to think through that. And and uh, you know when I look at what our planning and and procurement group uh, uh, are doing together are working together to do, um, it's exactly that risk analysis. Uh, so you look at uh, where does the product come from, how many borders does it have to cross, uh, what is the transportation risk. What is the risk of the supplier not being able to deliver? Um, So you take a number of different factors uh, into account and then you make a decision for each item how much safety stock you need. And, um, you know, right now all supply chain professionals are playing it really safe. They are placing orders at a time where demand fluctuations are really big they are placing orders way out into the future, and, and it's creating two a number of different problems. One problem is the demand signals throughout the supply chain just get exaggerated and out of whack. It's called the bullwhip effect or the whiplash effect or the forester effect, depending on who you subscribe to. And it essentially says that demand, uh, demand signals are exaggerated through the supply chain. So you go back, uh, so everybody places it really safe in places in order that's a little bit bigger than what their customers really need. So let's say 20% safer on somebody, a customer says, I, I, I want to buy more of this component. The tier one places uh, an order that's just 20% larger. The next one, maybe just 20% larger. The tier two, the tier three, 20% larger. And you see how, um, throughout the supply chain, it gets exaggerated. And then all of a sudden, we get a flooding of product in the supply chain. And that's the biggest risk of this situation we're in: is that either you get, you're unable to deliver. Or you just get so much inventory and you've got to write it off. And I'm predicting uh, in the supply chain many are, are over-ordering and it's going to cause uh, problems with financials over the next couple of years. So we're going to see some companies taking very big losses and it's also causing problems with, for suppliers to figure out what is a real new demand situation, what is just... The whiplash effect and what or or whip effect and what is a real thing, a real change in demand, and so we are we are going to see some of the suppliers also going out of business because they are over investing. And then, as as we are placing these orders, of course, it's also a big burden on cash flow, and so that's another area where we are going to see companies potentially getting into trouble. Definitely think about the safety stock, but also think about what's the right level of safety stock. Because as products then become obsolete, it becomes a real issue, both financially and practically. And of course, seen from a sustainability standpoint, we don't want to have to toss products that are no longer wanted.
0: The more I'm hearing you talk, the more I'm realizing that having too much stock can really have some very serious consequences. A ripple effect would be that people lose their jobs as well. Am am I wrong about that?
1: No, absolutely. And as I said, there are companies that will go out of business because of this. And if we we look at the best example right now is actually the mask market. So going back to second quarter of 2020, uh, masks were in short supply. Everybody placed orders for masks. So we got literally millions and millions and millions of masks. Do you feel like companies are thinking
0: about inventory? Um, obviously, they're thinking about it; t- it's top of mind. But you were just talking about kind of the whiplash effect, or kind of you know the 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 pendulum swinging from not having enough to having too much. So this would be it, it, this would be a big concern, I would think, of of trying to identify how much stock you need and what. What tools and technology can you use and who can you ask to help you?
1: Well, this is a, this has always been the big conundrum in the supply chain is to be able to forecast demand and uh, foresee demand swings. And as we are getting into uh, as we have over the last uh, one and a half year had unprecedented uh, demand swings in almost all industries. This has been a a real challenge and my feeling on the technologies for predicting uh, demand is that they are are in a very early budding stage. Certainly there's some uh, artificial intelligence applications out there that down the road may allow us more to, to look around the corners. Right now, most supply chain uh, companies need to, most supply chain professionals need to, the big conundrum in the supply chain is to be able to forecast demand and uh, foresee demand swings. And as we are getting into, uh, as we have over the last one and a half year, had unprecedented demand swings in almost all industries. This has been a real challenge. And my feeling on the technologies for predicting demand is that they are in a very early budding stage. Certainly there's some artificial intelligence applications out there that down the road may allow us more to look around the corners. Right now, most supply chain professionals need to make do with more traditional visibility tools where you look at what is actually transpiring and you focus on getting really fast signals on uh, both what uh, is sold via e-commerce channels, uh, what goes off the retail shelves, etc. And I think those tools have gotten much, much better. And so you get an early demand signal there. There are also ways to uh, for consumer goods uh, to measure uh, consumer sentiments and therefore get early prediction of what 's going on out on the key thing is to focus on the data sets that can help make decisions really hone in on them and I think uh, looking at that as a competitive advantage to be able to very early on, understand what's going on in the marketplace and then react to it. It of course requires you to also have visibility upstream in the supply chain, understanding what's going on with the suppliers and and what will happen if you add more demand requests in that uh, supply chain. And so, again, visibility tools are really good with that, uh, as is uh, having strong supplier relationship. Supply chain complexity is now at, uh, the highest level ever. It's hard to use technology to solve all the problems because technology has not grown as fast. I think that technology is going to eventually catch up, uh, but uh, right now... We have to really work with the visibility tools we have, but uh, down the uh, down the road, we are as a part of our digital transformation, looking at some of the artificial intelligence tools that can help us look around the corners for our customers
0: so earlier, you talked to me about there being fewer SKUs and less availability, so do you think that we we're at a point where? Customers are spoiled, and maybe we need to be able to differentiate
1: between customer satisfaction and meeting demand well to some extent, customer satisfaction and meeting demand is uh, is uh, is two sides of the same coin, and certainly uh, in the end it's the end user that's uh, the end customer that's uh, paying everybody 's paycheck in the in the supply chain. But there's a lot to be said in favor of simplifying the supply chain. And certainly one of the areas to look at is the simplification of inventory and how many SKUs there are. Or you can also have many SKUs, but be able to configure them in the very last minute. So that's called postponement. And we actually do that for a fair amount of our customers. It allows you to have one a big inventory, and then customize it as demand increases for certain types of inventory. The other thing to think about uh, with inventory management in is uh, where do you position it relative to the customer and so um, e commerce of course has been growing tremendously over the last couple of years, and so that gives you some opportunities to have a centralized inventory that's maybe more palatable uh, in terms of inventory management as opposed to having a distributed inventory. So everybody's thinking, okay, can I deliver it into people's hands next day? But maybe another way of thinking of inventory is, can I centralize my inventory and now have more SKUs in in a central location or have few in a central location and pull down my inventory.
0: It sounds to me that there's equal risk, the risk of not being able to satisfy your customers or meet customer demand if you don't have the stock that you need and you're following a, a purely just-in-time inventory. And then there's the risk that if you swing too far the opposite direction, you're going to possibly have inventory overhangs going to have to do a lot of write-downs, possibly eat some of the cost. What do you feel is the bigger
1: risk? Oh, it's a, it really depends on the, the customer, each situation, each company. It depends on which supply chain you have designed. It depends on which customer segments you are serving. Um, I think right now supply chain professionals are very concerned about running out of product. And I think this is now, these supply chain issues have all of a sudden become a C-suite issue. They're going all the way into the boards. I'm talking to a lot of board members about what is happening in supply chain. And so I think the pendulum right now is, let's just get the product there. And I think it's going to come back and bite a lot of companies. If you go back to pre-COVID, I would
0: say the vast majority of the population was completely clueless to what a supply chain was. But now it's in everybody's lexicon, right? Everybody knows at least the terminology of it. And you're saying that you're talking to board members about it who quite possibly have never really thought very long and hard about supply chain. How does it feel to kind of have your industry that you've loved and nurtured and cultivated really in the
1: spotlight right now? I have a different different sentiments around it. So first of all, you're right. I'm I'm passionate about supply chain, and so is the entire Alom staff. We are very passionate about what we are doing. And you know, when I started Alom, for many years thereafter, all my friends were telling me that they thought I was in the weird industry, and now nobody is saying that anymore. Because supply chain, as you said, have become front and center, and certainly the spotlight is on supply chain. And the, some of the C-suite executives that have not been, uh, who have not been so interested in supply chain, are getting a big crash course, and for some, a very expensive crash course. So certainly, it's it's a very interesting uh, development, and. I personally enjoy educating everybody about supply chain and I know we have a number of supply chain pros to know and staff so it's very satisfactory from that standpoint it's also a big satisfaction for me to see my staff being so effective at sourcing and producing product under on time and in these difficult circumstances where, where most companies just have to see, see a number of significant failures in the supply chain. Of course, it's personally satisfying to be able to help. For instance, uh, we have been and still are producing COVID test kits that are, as we know, life-saving. And that is a very big satisfaction to me to be able to see our expertise put to good use where we can really make a difference. What message do you want
0: to send to companies out there that might be struggling with their inventory?
1: Think about not overreacting. Think about there's a number of different risks. We always tend to only look at the last risk factor we have encountered, but there are a number of other risks. So don't overreact to one risk and underestimate other risks. For instance, as we spoke about overstocking or sending too big demand signals back in the supply chain and having your suppliers go out of business. And then try to look at the time horizon. So we talked uh, early on with COVID, the pandemic being one factor, the geopolitics and specific areas such as Brexit within uh, the geopolitics. We talked about infrastructure and we talked about freight That's some of the risk factors, and there are certainly many more we could talk about. But for each of them, look at the timeline. What what do you need to pay attention to? And when is that uh, really going to be a non-issue possibly? And how long time is this going to last for? And then which actions do you need to take given that situation and what is the correct uh, solution so you'll take out different tool sets depending on on uh, the timeline of of the risk so uh, lots for supply chain uh, professionals to think about and uh, you know we are here to help however we can thank
0: you for spending time talking to me today i really enjoyed hearing about just in time versus just in case
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Supply Chain. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information or to contact ALOM, go to alom.com. That's A-L-O-M dot com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook.